Should we be seeking happiness? Is that something we should be striving after? Or is that just too much? Is happiness just an illusion or something impossible? Wouldn't it be easier just to get by, maybe make it through this life unscathed? But maybe happiness is just too tall of an order, maybe something that's too much, maybe something that occurs in Hallmark movies, but not in real life. Is happiness just too much? Well, the answer is yes, we should be seeking happiness. We should be seeking happiness. But oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we resign that our life will just not reach something so good. And in the meantime, we'll sort of enjoy what we can. But happiness, joy, goodness is just too much. And sometimes we just shrink away from seeking after it. But what is happiness? What is happiness? I think a good way to think about happiness is the state of our being, the state of who we are, the way we feel, everything, body and soul. The state of being where we're lined up with who we're created to be, with who we're created to be by God. But oftentimes we don't find right, ourselves happy. Sometimes we find ourselves miserable. There's many moments of life in which misery marks the state of our heart. And in today, I think, as Jesus addresses us in the Sermon on the Mount with this very poignant passage, what he's trying to do, he's trying to point out a path of happiness by getting at the root source of our misery, by getting at the root. And the root source of our misery is not just actions, right? but what he does is he intensifies the commandments to talk about interior attitudes, the murkiness that lies within. Right? Jesus is not just after trapping the mice in the house, but he's seeking to find out how do they get in? How do they get in so they can be cut off at the source? And so Jesus, out of a great love for us and a desire for our happiness, focuses on this interior space from which, which the actions of our life flow. And he's radical, isn't he? In the way that he speaks about the interior life. Jesus is radical. But what does radical mean, right? It means from the root. And Jesus is radical because he speaks for the death to the roots of the things that cause us misery. He's not just addressing external manifestations, but he looks at the root. He looks at the root. The murkiness of all and the darkness of all that's dysfunctional with the heart, the lies that lie within the attitudes that rob us of our joy. And so he speaks about all these things. We might think, isn't this the merciful God? He doesn't sound very merciful here. But what is mercy? Is mercy lowering the bar and just saying everything's okay? 
Or does mercy give us the power and the confidence to live up to something new, to live up to the standard of who we were originally created to be in God's image and likeness? That's what true mercy does, doesn't it? It doesn't lower the expectation, but it permits us to live up to the greatness to which we're called. And so Jesus, in keeping the bar pretty high today in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he invites us to this great alignment with God. As that alignment of our life reaches all the way down, gets into our heart and mind, gets to the roots of our soul, gets into our blood and our bones even. That's how much God desires us to be like him. Because to be like him is our joy and our happiness. And the teaching of Jesus, handed on faithfully by the church throughout the ages, to many is scandalous, especially in today's gospel. They dismiss it as impossible. They find the radicality of the message of Jesus to be too much, especially in the moral order. We hear this all over today, don't we? It's just too much. The church should just like conform with the times, should make it easier, not make people feel so guilty by these high moral expectations. But what's God's goal? To make saints, that's God's goal. Not to just be satisfied with mediocrity, not just by producing just kind of a a baseline, basic goodness. But God wants us to burn with the fire of his love, to aspire to greatness, to be heroic, not just to get by, not just to survive, right? But God wants to make saints because the saints are happy. The saints are joyful. The saints are full of life because every part of their body, every fiber in their being lives for God and with God. It's a tall order, I know. Most of the world's philosophies end up compromising in serious ways, holding up some moral value but not pressing it all the way, right? That seems extreme and unrealistic, this teaching of Jesus about anger, about telling the truth, about lust. It seems impossible. But if Jesus were to dial down his moral ideals, it would be to compromise the whole purpose of his rescue plan and bringing humanity to the fullness of life. Because he wants us to belong to him and to love like him in every way, not letting in anything that might make us leave him or pull back from the fullness of his friendship and love. And so is this too much to live up to? This high call, this great teaching of Jesus to reform even the innermost fiber of our life and our hearts, is that too much? It's too much if we do it by ourselves. It's too much if we're just we're trying alone. But if it's God living with us, pouring out his love and mercy, reforming us, healing us, lifting us up every day, then it is possible. It's not just possible, but it's desirable. Right? It's, it's something great. It's something beautiful. It's something entirely possible. But if we just keep on trying harder, think of Ben Franklin, 
one of our founding fathers, he had this little journal where he would mark, he'd do like, he'd be very religious in his, and very serious about his kind of like moral inventory. But he just did it by himself. Like he just checked the boxes and what I did wrong. He noticed it wasn't getting any better, so is it worth it? Is it worth the pursuit of the ideal? But think of someone different. Think of John Paul II or Mother Teresa. Not just taking a moral inventory, not just having a checklist or a, a progress report. Not just finding some way to self-improvement but a radical reliance upon the grace and mercy of God. That's what will lift us up to this place of alignment. What does the mercy of God do? It doesn't just lower the bar, but it meets us where we're miserable. And there it enters into every darkness, and it renews, it heals, it lifts up, and it enables us to live the life that God has traced for us and every little detail and every little interior habit and thought, a complete transformation of our hearts and minds in God's presence. That's possible, right? That's the mercy of God. That's what it does. It doesn't lower the bar or dial it back, but rather it, it enters into where we have our darkness, where we have our struggle to lift us up to this great place so that we can be lined up with who we were created to be. And so today we receive that mercy in the Eucharist, don't we? We receive his body and blood. We open our hearts to the outpouring of his grace to lift us up to be more than we thought we could be. So let's open our hearts. Let's open our hearts. Let's open up the misery and the darkness and the struggles of the heart and the mind to allow the power of God to flow in, to bring us this divine life, and to lift us up to share in his goodness and his happiness.